My next guest is the host of the Bet the Board podcast, as well as an analyst for CBS Sports HQ. I want to welcome back on Mr. Todd Furman. Todd, is everything going for you? Uh, everything is good, man. Great to catch up. Uh, football season seems to fly by in the blink of an eye. Uh, it's amazing. You add an extra week of the regular season, and it still moves by just as quickly. But if we had this discussion in August, uh, I don't think anybody in their right mind would have predicted these two Super Bowl combatants. Let's put it that way. No, it feels like Ed Sheeran was singing his song at the kickoff like three weeks ago. And now we're at the Super Bowl. It's it's and, insane. And the crazy part about it is I'd love the offseason to last a little bit longer. So it allows all of us in the space to kind of dig into our numbers, kind of uh, readjust some of our perceptions, not only on what we saw this past season, but obviously going forward and begin to tinker uh, with some of the methodologies that we use to make ourselves money throughout the course of football season. But you know, as much as we bemoan the absence of football after they hand out the Lombardi trophy, you blink and suddenly we'll be talking about the Hall of Fame game again in early August. What do you think was the biggest upset this year? You know, I mean, if you go off of point spreads and everything else, obviously there are a couple logical candidates. I mean, the Jaguars knocking off Buffalo, one of the more inexplicable results that you have given the way those two teams finished the season. And I think the Jags being involved in the week 18 upset of the Indianapolis Colts where the Jags were playing out the stretch and Indianapolis had everything to play for and then some uh, and some of the ripple effects that that created. But if you're talking about, you know, recently, I know it's only a seven point upset as far as the numbers concerned, but the Bengals coming back down 21 to three at one point against the Kansas City Chiefs, an offense that looked like there was going to be no prayer to try and slow them down, deserves a ton of credit. Uh, and whether it's Joe Burrow, who you know, ultimately gets the lion's share of credit for that, or you want to give it to Zach Taylor. Clearly the Bengals have lived a charmed existence, not only in the postseason, but all year long. When you look back and reflect that their win total was just six and a half. Do you think people are finally starting to have some confidence in betting on the Bengals, maybe kind of fading them in recent weeks going against obviously the number one seed in the AFC and then going against Mahomes. And now they're going against basically a home. It's a, it's a, it's a road game. Even yeah, though I think a lot of people are starting to buy into the Cinderella story that something special is truly going on there. And when you dig into Cincinnati's numbers and how they were able to complete the comeback, it wasn't all just Joe Burrow. Sure, he made great plays with his legs, extending drives on third and long and third and intermediate, getting out of the sack of Chris Jones. But from his passing perspective, it wasn't what Cincinnati did through the air. The defensive adjustments to get as much credit as anything else when you consider that it was the second time in the span of, what, five weeks that they were able to hold Kansas City to just a meager field goal in that second half. And I think as a result of that, I mean, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, you know, shame on whatever the hell the saying goes, and I'll butcher it like I always do. But the Bengals now have won and covered six straight games. I mean, it's a team that's shown that they're exceptional when it comes to getting you to the window as an underdog of a field goal or more. And I think that's part of the reason that you've seen, at least through the first week of betting, the general public gravitating towards Joe Burrow and this upstart Bengals team. In terms of some of the props, I know some of the lines are pretty high. I know Cup, they have it like eight and a half receptions. And I know, I think I think I saw Cup uh, Cup's TD, anytime TD odds are like minus 200. Like are, are some of them, you're like, all right, it's probably going to happen. I'll, I'll, I'm not going to make much, but it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that you're not going to be the most exciting guy to sit next to at a Super Bowl party you're attending to, but you're not getting any value going over with Cooper Cup numbers. I mean, I look at that number at eight and a half receptions. I haven't projected more in the ballpark of eight, so it offers a shred of value looking to try and go under there. If you're trying to make a case for his yardage number under, wait this thing out to the 23rd hour. I mean, public betters are going to have a say in what goes on there. And you've even seen a little bit of appetite from sharp betters going over 102 and a half, figuring, all right, this is the lowest this number is going to be. And as it continues yeah. to climb, 
we'll have an opportunity to come back the other way. But as far as an anytime touchdown score, I mean, we've seen in the past, Super Bowls have been a lot lower scoring than people anticipate. And while it's not sexy to bet no against some of the marquee players, the idea that you're putting up $2 to make a dollar with an implied probability north of 60% that couple score a touchdown. I mean, there's no better that you'll talk to that does this for a living and model some of the mathematics behind it that makes this price minus $2. So if you're able to grab, you know, plus 165, plus 170 on a no, that's probably, or I shouldn't say probably, that's definitely the value side. Now, is it something that I think a casual better is going to run to the window to try and bet? Uh, absolutely not. They don't want to be sitting there on the edge of their seat rooting against Cooper Cup scoring a touchdown come Sunday. Do you think Vegas took, took, a, took a hit last week with all the big-name players kind of balling out for people and kind of helping them with their bets? You know, it's always interesting because we've seen the proliferation of same-game parlays and a lot of the more unique sports betting options that are out there. Typically, sports books are going to put themselves – in an outstanding position to reap the benefits of a higher hold proposition for recreational betters. But when you have the marquee players all finding pay dirt and some of them doing it on multiple occasions, yeah. it's not going to create an ideal scenario for the house. But when you're looking at the conference championship games, uh, nothing that as far as I know, and some of the guys that I've spoken to created massive liability, it was more the chiefs bills game uh, that did them in, in the conference semifinals with the rash of touchdowns we saw late in that game. And every marquee player you could think of, not named Stephon Diggs, essentially finding the end zone. So that game, probably the worst uh, from a props and exotic standpoint, more so than what you saw transpire in the conference championships last weekend. What's your favorite uh, obscure Super Bowl prop? I mean, when you look at all of these things, and I know you can't bet them in regulated jurisdictions, it's always fun to try and get that inside information as far as the national anthem is concerned because you know the information is leaking. You talk to your friends in the music community and the agent pools and everything else. Uh, and so that's been a prop we've had some success with uh, over the last couple of years. We'll see if it ever makes the big board as far as some of the regulated jurisdictions are. I know there are a couple states out there now that you can parlay that essentially more as a novelty to the winner of the game, but you can't bet it straight up. Uh, but I've always been you know, partial to some of the cross-sport props that are out there, because if you can find an edge and rugby in golf in college basketball in the nhl you can give yourself a little bit more of an edge uh than you would because odds makers are working just like everybody else to try and be creative and they deserve a ton of credit for thinking outside the box uh, but some of those numbers aren't going to be as airtight as they would like them it's also the reason that those are significantly lower limits than if you're just betting the straight up player props you know over under on yards over under on receptions and that sort of thing some of them were wild. One of them was like, who will the who will the Super Bowl MVP thank first? Teammate, city, or God? God had great odds. So it was, it was wild. Some of the it's all, yeah, it's all about trying to handicap who you think the MVP is going to be uh, and then going back and kind of watching some of their pre- and yeah. post-game press conference to realize, okay, here's the logical continuation or the thought process that you think is going to play out. And the best part about the Super Bowl when you're talking about some of these prop offerings that are available – the amount of research that goes into it for handicappers, trying to find, you know, a couple percent edge in watching national anthem renditions, trying to figure out when you have a musical act, what they typically gravitate towards as the first song of their set. Uh, it's an outstanding cat and mouse game uh, and one that never gets old as far as the tradition, trying to pull one over on odds makers. I know one of them was like, well, will a football be used as a prop in the halftime show? And I looked over the last 10 and only one Super Bowl had it. See, there you go. I mean, you're doing the homework just like yeah. everybody else. And you go, okay, if it's happened once in 10 years, you try and figure out Snoop and some of the other musical acts. Go, do I think there's going to be a football? 
Well, Snoop loves to be around USC football practices and all the other things that you want to try and build into your equation yeah. before you res- uh, arrive at a investment opportunity if there actually is one to be made. What, what do you think of the numbers coming in from New York since uh, they've legalized mobile sports betting? We've always known that the country is full of degenerates and uh, people were going to bet. I mean, we talk about baseball as America's pastime. Sports betting is what this company, uh, company, what this country clamors for uh, from top to bottom. And whether it's New York, whether it's Louisiana, whether it's Nevada, I mean, the numbers are just staggering with legalized sports betting. And as the menus continue to get more and more extensive and you have the free market economics taking hold with operators, uh, when it comes to aggressive promos and everything else, you're going to have a ton of folks looking to kind of enter the marketplace and take some of their money away from the gray area. I just hope that states offer competitive products because if they don't, it serves as a deterrent to get people involved. And despite some of the numbers and sheer volume that we saw from bets in New York, I have to tip my hat to Louisiana because from a per capita standpoint, the average bet size coming out of that state are blowing away a lot of other folks out there. And this is even before they have SEC football uh, that they're going to have right at their fingertips in late August and early September. You think the bulk of these bets are coming from kind of like big, kind of like high rollers or just the average person? No, 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 no. Most of these bets are coming from, you know, recreational bettors, folks that have been betting and have had a passing interest in it for years uh, that are just looking for unique, creative ways to try and get involved. And I think, you know, that's more or less when you look at the ecosystem for sports betting, professional bettors and those that are going to have influence on the markets, those that do that for a living represent such a small percentage of the folks that are out there. I mean, as we tell people all the time on the Bet the Board podcast, we our goal is to try and make people smarter uh, with the way they approach their sports wagering. But the reality of it is, unless you're dedicating the ample time, hours, building the networks and the connections, it's a recreational pursuit for yeah. most. And when you look at sports betting, you kind of have to view it through the same lens as golfing that, okay, I've set aside, you know, whatever it may be to play around with my buddies. If I happen to make back and bets on the course or drinking my weight in beers, then it makes sense. And the same kind of thing for sports betting. If I'm setting aside money for a football season, if I can break even, that should be considered a win for most because you're getting free entertainment out of your week-to-week endeavors. Do you have any strategies for same-game parlays? Uh, typically, to stay away from them would be my number one. <laughs> They're risk-free. They're risk-free. Yeah. Yeah, it would be my number one uh, source of (laughs) advice. But the one thing I I would tell people when you're looking to try and connect some of these legs, obviously, there's a high level of correlation. Uh, Books know that they're going to reduce the odds and you're never going to get fair payouts uh, for those particular propositions. But there can be scenarios where they're reverse correlations. And as sophisticated as those folks that are developing these platforms, there are going to be a few avenues that if you poke around a little bit, you play some mix and match that you will find a a little bit of an edge that you can potentially exploit. But those are few and far between. You have to be smart and strategic. Uh, And I tell people all the time, and this is more for hockey that's a little straightforward. Uh, I've had friends that want to bet, you know, money. They want to parlay a money line. They want to parlay the over-under in the game. And they want to parlay a goal score. Just poke those into the equation. You'd be amazed at what kind of prices are reflected by just betting an anytime goal score. Guys that should be minus $1.20 or minus $1.30, when you're tying them into an any t- you know a single game parlay, essentially that leg becomes 270 or 280, and long term it's damn near impossible to outrun that math. I have a question. You're a former. You used to be an odds maker, right? Were you doing yep. much many many futures or mostly kind of just game odds? So I did a lot of futures markets. That was kind of the responsibility that fell on me, setting new markets there and monitoring them throughout the course of the season. 
no, uh, we were under an edict or two that we couldn't have the most competitive hold percentage. So it's something that doesn't always sit that well for me when I was trying to drum up some business back in the day, but it was fun. I mean, playing the game, trying to hang a number out there where you went, all right, I'm happy to take some liability to these teams that are there. And whether it was the NFL futures, which is always the most exciting to book college basketball, college football, to a much lesser extent or the NHL where parity reigns supreme. It was so much fun to kind of go, okay, I'm going to raise this team up. I'm going to drop this particular team. Here's a trade that I think is coming in that I think is going to you know, overhaul the odds. It just becomes a real enjoyable process. And if we could have traded a lot of our futures at a lower hold percentage, it would have been even that much more fun. Are there any futures, obviously, like with the NFL honors on Thursday, where a lot of the, everybody's going to, the awards will be announced. Are there any awards this year where some of the odds going into the year, you're like, why hasn't, why hasn't Vegas moved these? These look like too good of a deal. You know, it's, it's a lot of the prices that are out there. When you talk about MVP, I mean, we know it's a quarterback-driven award. Despite the gaudy numbers that a Cooper couple put up, I'd be absolutely stunned if he wins MVP. That's why the league has the offensive player of the year where we know it typically goes to a skill position player. Honestly, the way that we've seen awards go in the past, you can always find and identify a long shot here or there. Um, now, do they always come home to roost? No, not so much. But even this season, for example, with the offensive rookie of the year, I mean, Mac Jones, before he was named the starting quarterback, eight or nine to one, he was a massive favorite when Jamar Chase went through his midseason slump. And it wasn't until Chase kind of turned on the afterburners over the last three or four games uh, that turned Mac Jones from a minus $5 favorite into a three to one underdog. So it's week to week. And what's so much different about betting awards futures than betting things that'll transpire on the field is it's narrative driven. So if you're starting to search out players' names or they have that one flash performance, one game can completely flip those odds on their head more so than if you're betting team to win the Super Bowl or team to win the division. The one that got me is you're, you're getting plus money on Burrow almost going into like the last week of the season for comeback player of the year. I mean, Dak was an overwhelming favorite early on. And when you looked at the gaudy numbers the Cowboys were putting up, it, it appeared to be his you know, going away. Now, Burrow, I'm sure, bridged that gap quite a bit, but you do wonder, did Joe Burrow do enough during the regular season to get him over the hump? Because a lot of these awards, to my knowledge, and I don't have the full list in front of me in terms of when they're voted on, are typically regular season. So what Joe Burrow's done in the playoffs, don't go into it with the mindset that that's going to give you a competitive advantage. Look at the 18-game regular or 18 week regular season that's how you should be making the determination and if you fall victim or prisoner of the moment late in the season you can make some investments that really don't quite have a puncher's chance because i think the same thing could be said about mvp if we knew tom brady was going to retire he should have been a substantial favorite over aaron Rodgers, uh more so than what numbers you saw in the betting market given that rogers probably made a stronger case on field to earn that hardware and one more futures question for you. Why do you think there's such a limited number of next next uh, player, a quarterback next team odds or next team next coach odds? I feel like in terms of it could be, it could be so much more of a vast menu of that, but there's only a few. You know, it's a challenge for odds makers. It's in a market that you want to offer up because it creates buzz from a PR standpoint. But the reality of it is someone has that information. So it's an imperfect market that you're constantly trying to match wits against the NFL insiders or a handful of, betters that are privy to that kind of intel. And even if you're talking about lower limits uh, in that $50, $100 range, it, the exercise in just going through it sometimes becomes diminishing returns. So that's where you're stuck in a catch 22. And there are plenty of stories throughout Europe 
where next manager to get sacked or manager to get hired, especially, you know, in the premiership or some of the other higher profile domestic leagues, uh, those markets were ripe for manipulation and books typically took such low limits that it didn't impact their balance sheets in a positive or negative fashion. Do you expect the books to get like a, like a Schefter coming up? Because I know, obviously, they're normally on top of everything. One of them earlier in the year, I was shocked I was able to do it. The game where Cousins tested positive against the Packers. Packers, I think, were six-and-a-half-point favorites. They announced he tested positive. I jump on DraftKings. It's still six-and-a-half. I knew it was going to jump to double digits. I jumped on it. They moved it down to like 13. Packers ended up winning by 20. Do you think they're trying to get an insider sooner than later rather so that people can't kind of take advantage of that? I mean, they're going to do everything they can, but the reality of it is that books and betters are on an equal playing field for that first 15 to 30 seconds for when information breaks. So if you're sitting there and you have your Twitter alerts up or on social media, you're sitting at an odd screen, you may have a narrow window to be able to kind of take advantage of that Intel before it becomes widely available and books are able to make the proper adjustments. I do think the stories are interesting about gaming operators, potentially hiring insiders for the various sports. At the same time, if I'm a league and I'm a commissioner, I'm doing everything I can from a team standpoint, a player standpoint to discourage people from sharing that information for those folks that are working with the sports books, because then you begin to create that slippery slope of integrity in terms of who has information, who's using it for personal gain. Whereas now it just becomes who's got a quicker trigger finger. And to your point, I mean, if you're sitting there on your app and you can log into your favorite sports book fast enough, you may be able to get a bet in before the odds makers can move the price. So as of today, Monday afternoon, um, what are some of your favorite bets for the Super Bowl? You know, honestly, I mean, my card is relatively small. Uh, I did, you know, potentially explore the Rams uh, on a cheaper money line, but never pulled the trigger early on. So I don't have strong feelings on the side. Did go under 24 in the first half, figured that was a number that wasn't going to last. Not sure if I'll keep the position or look to come back a little bit if it were to tick down to 23. We've seen a lot of these games start off lower scoring and then really turn into more of a firefight in the second half. And especially given the familiarity between these head coaches, I think you could see a lot more conservative game plans early on. And neither of these coaches have been uber aggressive when it comes to going on fourth down and plus territory. I think they're going to look for small victories, especially for a Ram side that only mustered three points when they played the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Uh, and Zach Taylor, knowing how his red zone offense is really bogged down. And as far as player props, you know, there are some small opportunities and wiggle rooms that wiggle room that's out there. I mean, the Bengals total rushing yards as a team, uh, that number was as high as 101 and a half, made a small, took a small position there. You know, Bengals first score of the game to be a field goal, given some of those red zone struggles. There were prices upwards of plus 250 to plus $3. That number's come down. But I think even a plus, you know, $1.20, $1.30 makes some sense. Uh, and still kind of digging into some of the player props, hoping that there's some overcompensation made uh, on public perception as much as anything else. Because if you're looking to go over the total uh, on a lot of the marquee players, do it early come yeah. back on game day and go under. And for someone who gravitates towards unders, looking for nothing to happen in games of these magnitude, a lot of my bets will come in in the 23rd hour other than some of the math-driven props. And rather than share those with numbers that are no longer available, that's the last thing I want to do is sit here and pound my chest for a price that's moved a dollar or $2. I'll hope to cash them, uh, but I'm not going to sit here and try and throw salt in the wounds for folks that don't have access to those prices. It's incredible. I think I saw Stafford move from one and a half to two and a half touch over two and a half touch the line, two and a half touchdowns. Yeah, that, interesting. 
that's always uh, going to be a book's preference as well, because you can go one and a half, you can juice, you know, with a substantial price tag attached to it, you can go two and a half and juice it under. Uh, but this game more so than any throughout the year. I mean, you can essentially find over under a quarterback touchdown passes, one and a half, two and a half, three and a half. You can bet the exact number of touchdown passes Stafford will throw. So it's really a, a question of where you think the market's going to go. Uh, and kind of the value of two. I mean, if you get a reasonable price over one and a half touchdown passes, you're able to come back the other way with a reasonable price under two and a half. You're sitting there hoping for a juicy middle for it to land exactly two. Uh, and it's what we always talk about. If you can do this and essentially turn it into a money-making proposition and eliminate the gamble from the equation, uh, that's the end goal for all of us. If we have a little opportunity for risk-free cash on Super Bowl Sunday. The regular season question for you, what did you think of uh, the Lions against the spread this year? Oh, I mean, hey, there, there's one thing that you've come to appreciate in pro sports, college sports. There's nothing you love more than a team that covers point spreads and doesn't win football or doesn't win games. The reason I say that is because they fly under the radar. I mean, books don't have to adjust. So you see it all the time in college basketball. I mean, teams that can go three and 13 in conference games, but still accumulate, you know, a 10 and six ATS record, because if they're not winning straight up, it doesn't raise that many red flags. And I think the lions were the poster child for that, that they continued to cover numbers, didn't win a ton of games outright and showed fight game in game out other than kind of the rare exceptions where they ran into walls or situational spots uh, that really precluded them from giving themselves, you know, even a snowball's chance to compete, you know, whether it was a Bengals game, the Eagles or what have you. And then uh, one last question for you. Um, looking at like uh, Super Bowl MVP ads, do you kind of normally look towards some of the guys that are long shots knowing you can kind of, you can, you can just sprinkle a little bit in kind of make, get a, a bigger output or do you kind of normally go, it's going to be a quarterback. Yeah, it's been so hard to try and find non-quarterbacks to win the award. I think that recent tally, when I was looking at some of the stuff over the weekend, since 2006, I want to say it's four non-quarterbacks that have won awards. And you look back a couple of years ago when Patrick Mahomes took home the hardware for the Chiefs and Damian Williams clearly had a much stronger yeah. case to be made for being MVP. Now you have two quarterbacks, whether it's a lifetime achievement award for Matthew Stafford or Joe Burrow potentially being the next great young quarterback and face of the league. I think it's going to be a tall mountain to climb. You need a lower scoring game to get a guy like Vaughn Miller to be able to repeat or an Aaron Donald. Uh, and I think what's interesting when you try and look at some of the other skill position players, this may be the only time where a single game parlay really can work in your favor. And the reason I say that is because Cooper cup at seven to one would be a guy that's a logical choice that makes some sense, but you try and anticipate what kind of stat line cup has to put together to have yeah. a legitimate case to be MVP. And if you think it's over hundred receiving yards, it's eight catches or more, and it's one touchdown, you would try and put together a single game parlay to project out the kind of stat line he would need to be the Super Bowl MVP. And maybe you're able to put together a unique spin uh, to get you to the window at a price greater than what the betting market will offer up. What do you think about Evan McPherson at plus 15,000? I think it's getting real trendy right now. And that's my big concern for, for a kicker to take home that award. Uh, I would need a price much more substantial than that. And since if you feel it, McPherson is going to be the guy bet him over one and a half field goals. And uh, you'd feel much more confident cashing that ticket, figuring that he's probably got to hit four or five and maybe three of those from 50 plus. If in 2022, where we're talking about offense ruling the day, a kicker is going to be named MVP of, so of football's greatest showcase. Well, kicker won regular season MVP, like in the mid eighties. Uh, yeah, it, it was a very different time back then uh, to that's try fair. and be able to pull that off. So uh, I can understand some of the buzz, but I think, you know, given the run that McPherson has been on 
and the fact that he's become a little bit of a Colts hero, given the bravado and the swagger. I mean, you're not getting fair market value in that particular price with McPherson, in my opinion. He's 12 of 12, uh, perfect from, from uh, uh, extra points, but incredible. Then one last quick one. What did you think of that FanDuel better last week who guessed both of those scores correctly? Let's just say it's better to be lucky than it is to be good. And when you can do it with the house's money and a $20 free roll and turn it into a half a million dollars, I tip my hat to you. Uh, that's the sign that something worked out the right way for you. And no matter how you want to claim, it's a math model that drove you to that particular parlay or anything else. You do need a little lady luck smiling upon you. Um, and it was a fascinating story to pick the brain of John Sheeran, who handles the risk and trading team for FanDuel going, you know what? You know, these are the stories that kind these are the, me paraphrasing, not him saying it. I mean, it creates the buzz for the industry, uh, but the reality of it is we may never see someone able to try and pull off something uh, with odds that magnitude. Unless we get time travel, then. Yeah, then, exactly. If you yeah. find a way that we can know the scores of the games before they kick off, Zach, you and I don't need to tell anybody else. We'll be able to profit yeah. handsomely and it'll yeah. make the days of us doing content for pay. Uh, a little bit of an afterthought when you can sit on the beach, relax, and not do a damn thing or worry about anything else transpiring around you. They say, would we like to meet your, your ancestors, your descendants? I'm like, screw that. I'm going back two weeks. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's great. And what's your prediction for the game Sunday? Uh, you know what? I think the Rams, having been there and done that, uh, coming up short, they'll lean on some of that experience. Sean McVay learned some valuable lessons. Uh, I think the, it's the Rams in a tightly fought game. Um, if I'm trying to make a case for a side or total, lean Rams on the money line and under the total. But like I said, the only thing that I bet in that regard is the first half under at 24. I probably won't have a bet uh, on the full game side and the full game total. Looking for a little bit of in-game opportunity to maximize some value there instead. Awesome. Awesome. And how can people check out your podcast and catch you on CBS? Yeah, I encourage them. CBS Sports HQ, we're doing all sorts of great prop coverage from now until kickoff uh, of the big game on Sunday. So they can check us out there. Uh, also, Bet the Board podcast, our Super Bowl spectacular with Payne Insider, and we'll have an interview with John Sheeran as well. Uh, that'll drop Wednesday afternoon, so folks will be able to listen to that for about four or five days leading up to it. Uh, typically, those shows will run quite lengthy, so break it up into parts. We'll dig into some of the major prop markets, uh, but a lot more of it is X's and O's, trying to figure out exactly where you can find a matchup or two worth exploiting and allow our listeners to take some of the information we've provided uh, and make the most informed choices, but it's been a great year on the podcast, best bets clipping along and North of a 60% rate. And hopefully we can top it off with a big winner in the Super Bowl with the best bet category. Uh, but more importantly, sharing some of the information uh, with the growing sports betting audience that continues to add state by state uh, as the sports betting takeover continues. Yeah. Awesome. Well, always a pleasure having you on. I do appreciate it. I'm hoping I'm, I'm in the plus on Sunday, but we'll, we will see. We will see, but always a pleasure. Discretion is always the better part of valor, my friend. Be smart, be strategic, try and find a handful of props that you can exploit and leave a little bit of money set to the side to take advantage of some of those in-game adjustments that are inevitably made. Well, my, my good thing is I'm probably going to go home to Maryland to watch it. So my good thing is if I'm losing, if I'm down a bunch, I can't bet in game because then I'm just taking <laughs> myself a bigger haul. Then I'm kind of like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll know for next year. It's only a quick car ride away to get to Virginia. So, I mean, <laughs> if things start to go haywire yeah. midway through the first quarter, you'll put yourself yeah. in a good spot to be able gonna, to make a second half bet. Yeah. You watch the halftime show? No, I was on 295. So, no, there yeah. There you go. Take yeah, advantage. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs>